You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we're short on time, and I've got a lot to say, so fasten your seatbelts. Please keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, okay? Um, I, this week, I've been pondering um, doing a, a new series, and I think I'm going to start it next week. I'm going to do a series on the glory of the Lord. Yeah. And, and just to give you a little primer for it, you're created for glory, church. Yeah. It's what you're designed for. It's not some separate thing that you avoid and say, just to God be the glory. That's wonderful. That sounds great. But the way God chooses to reveal himself and his glory in the earth is through his church. So you and I were made for glory. So hopefully you can come be a part of that in the next few weeks as we unpack that. But today, I wanted to run back home, if we could. Our pastoral team has been getting together and reevaluating, I guess you could say, maybe focusing a little bit better on our mission, our vision, and our values. And you might start seeing some of that uh, stuff show up in our media. But one of the things that is really core to who we are is the renewed mind. Um, It's something that God spoke to me back in 2008. It's a core message of my entire life is the renewed mind. And if you've hung around here long enough, you've probably heard me talk about it. I bounce off and on with that all the time. So I want to talk about it this morning. But I want to talk about specifically this message this morning is called Uh, repentance and the renewed mind because repentance and the renewed mind go hand in hand they're like hand in glove you can't really separate the two so I want to talk about those a little bit and what they really really mean you guys with me all right here we go let me get some notes out here so I kind of know where I'm going and I have been plugging these things lately guys you need to get a hold of this stuff if you have not gotten a hold of the passion translation yet get a hold of it it's one of the best things out there. It is it's so wonderful. We had Brian Simmons, who's the author of this, um, who's translating the Bible again. He was here with us uh, a year or two ago, and absolutely fantastic. So I, I've been using this a whole lot. Uh, in October, October 31st, I think the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs comes out. I already have mine pre-ordered, because I'm tired of carrying these little books around, but it's fantastic. You need to get a hold of it. So, So when we're talking about the renewed mind... I want to say this. How many want in here want to do kingdom work? Yes. Like you, you were encouraged by the testimonies of Dave the, earlier in the ministry time and then right then. Does that encourage you at all? Yes. It should because it's what you're designed for. Yes. Everything else is just a substitute. There's absolute wonderful life that you can find in ministering in the kingdom of God. But the only way we can consistently do the kingdom work is to view reality from God's perspective. It's the only way we can consistently do kingdom work is to view reality from God's perspective. This is where the renewed mind comes in. The battle between the ears is the biggest battleground, right? Would you agree with that? Satan's been defeated and, and has been made a public spectacle, the word says. He's been made a public spectacle. The demonic realm came in, let me just put it into context. The demonic realm comes in and wants to destroy Jesus when he comes on the scene, right? Not knowing that in their destroying Jesus, they were destroying themselves. Had the demonic realm knew what they were doing when they were trying to kill Jesus, they would have been killing anybody who was trying to kill Jesus. 
Because in doing so, it opened up a whole new reality for us to live in. It opened up the kingdom of God. And Jesus was preaching about it even before his crucifixion. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he went on to say even further, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Did you know you have it inside you? Come on, you didn't even get, you didn't even get to ask permission for it. He put it inside of you. So there's no begging, there's no striving to try to get it. You have it inside of you because of the work of Jesus. The mind's a terrible thing, though, isn't it? Come on, anybody here know what I'm talking about? The mind's a terrible thing. Well, it's actually not a terrible thing. I think the unrenewed mind is a terrible thing. The mind's a wonderful thing, actually. The unrenewed mind is a terrible thing. The unrenewed mind thinks like earth, thinks like normal earthly stuff. The renewed mind thinks like God thinks. The renewed mind thinks about heaven as a reality, not some future hope, but a present reality. Can I say it that way? How many want to see the things of heaven become your present reality instead of a future hope? Yeah. Right. Well, this is what Jesus... Do I have anybody in the room with me this morning? Yeah. This is what Jesus afforded to us. His whole work with the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, the giving of Holy Spirit, all of this stuff is so that we can have access to everything in heaven. I heard it said not too long ago, someone was preaching and they said, you know, I go to heaven all the time. I had to think about that for a minute. You go to heaven all the time? I started to realize, you know, you can do that. Did you know you can do that? <laughs> Where do Christians go when they die? To heaven? Right? How many in this room are dead? Every hand should go up. You're crucified with Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a present reality. It's not a future hope. It's a present reality. You've been crucified with Christ. The old man is dead. Romans 6. If you don't believe me, go read it. Romans 6. The old man is dead. The sinful nature is absolutely gone. The old nature is absolutely eradicated. We've been seated with him, Ephesians 2, in heavenly places. So you can go to heaven anytime you want. There's a superior reality of heaven, the way heaven operates, the economy of heaven, the way God thinks is completely different than the way this earth functions and the way this earth thinks. Let me bring it down into some practicals here. How many times have you heard people, or maybe you yourself have done it, I've been guilty of doing it, where you pray for somebody and you say, God, if it's your will, let them be healed. You know what that is? That's a faithless prayer. Because we don't step into what Christ has already assigned us to do. Did he go out and say, pray for the sick? No, he, went, he said, go out and heal the sick. Go out and heal the sick. He didn't say pray for the sick. And we know God is willing because the, the gospels tell us that. When someone comes and says, are you willing? And he goes, yes, I'm willing. So that should tell us right there, Jesus is willing to heal. So when we pray for people, what we're doing is we're not begging heaven to come, we are actually seated with him in heavenly places and we're enforcing it into the earth. You see the difference. One of them stands on earth begging heaven to do something. The other one's in heaven going, I want that to happen right there. You see, the, is this making sense at all? When we live from that position, that superior reality of heaven, when our minds are renewed, we don't look at sickness and go, I wonder if God wants to heal it. We look at it and go, God's going to heal it. I know Dave's got great testimonies on it. I've got great 
personal testimonies of it. Of 08, when God rocked my whole world, I started seeing people get healed, and it wasn't in church. I would literally be driving down the road and have open visions of places and things and names and faces, and I would find myself looking for them, and when I saw it in town, I would drive into a parking lot. I saw a pair of sunglasses one time, a really odd-shaped pair of sunglasses, just driving down the road, and I was like, what is that all about? I kept pondering it, going, God, what is this? What is this? And I started going, I know you're wanting to do something. There's something here, God. What are you doing? And as I was driving through town, I finally saw a little marquee that had that same shape of glasses. It was an eyeglass shop. And so I knew God was doing something in there, and I wanted to be a part of it. So what did I do? I pull into the parking lot and go into the eyeglass shop. Is this, am I making this practical enough? I go into the eyeglass shop, and there's nobody in there. There's one lady behind the counter, and she goes, can I help you? And I said, well, I'm not sure. I think I'm here to help you. <laughs> and as I began to talk to her, I got a word of knowledge. God began to speak to me, and he said, yeah, you need to pray for her child. She's got one of her children's in really a lot of trouble right now. So I said, I think I'm here to pray for one of your children that's having some trouble. And she immediately just started crying. 13-year-old son getting into a lot of trouble, looking at juvie, looking at, you know, looking at some pretty serious stuff. And she just started breaking down crying. And I look at that and go, isn't the superior reality of heaven far better than guessing as a human? Can I pray for you for anything? That's one thing you can say. Or you can say, I'm supposed to pray for this for you because this is what's going on in heaven and I see it right now. Come on, is this helpful? This is the renewed mind though. In order to live like that, we need a renewed mind. We can't afford to think things like, well, God sometimes heals. Well, I can look at that reality and agree with you and say, yeah, God sometimes heals, but I don't think that it's God who sometimes heals. I think he's still waiting for us to wake up and to step into it. And so when people aren't getting healed, it's not because God doesn't want them to. It's because we're not stepping into agreement with him. Does this make sense? The more you do it and the more you see it happen, your mind begins to think a little bit different. And when your mind begins to think a little bit different, like heaven's thinking, that's when you know you've got the renewed mind. I was told growing up, being a pastor's kid, born on Saturday, in church on Sunday, I was told that the way you renewed your mind was memorizing scripture. There's a bit of a challenge to that. Because I memorized a lot of scripture, a whole lot of scripture. Ultimately to find out that Satan knew it better than I did. And I don't think his mind's getting renewed. It's not what I put in my head, it's what I discover in my heart. And what I discover in my heart, I can't always give words to with my mouth. But there is a superior reality that when we start to recognize it, you recognize it first with your heart. And perhaps your intellect will grab it. Mine occasionally grabs it. Is this making sense? I get it in my heart and I understand it. And it got settled for me concerning the healing that God heals. And so for me to look at somebody and not pray for them because I don't know if they're going to get healed or not is earthly thinking. The renewed mind, superior thinking says, God heals, I'm praying for him. It is not my business, it's not my job to try to understand why people don't get healed. Let me put it this way. I refuse to build theologies on why people don't get healed. I refuse to do it. I will not, I will not even venture down that. I've heard pastors do that. I've heard messages on 27 reasons why people don't get healed. Seriously, I've heard a message on that. 27 reasons why people don't get healed. You know what you're doing right there? You're just yanking the faith out from under everybody when you do that. 
and you're giving people principles to live by, and so they start looking at those things going, okay, well, they're not going to get healed because, oh, they don't have enough faith. Oh, well, they didn't, they didn't steward it well. Oh, they didn't do And it gives us reasons to not be in faith and just look at things and go, God heals. This is helping it all. This is renewed mind thinking. It didn't happen with me because I studied a whole lot. And I did. I studied a whole lot. I still study a lot. I read voraciously. But my mind is not renewed in how much I can push into my skull right here. My mind is renewed by what happens inside of my heart when I hear God, when I experience God. Being transformed. We talk about this around here a lot. Being transformed. It's a really big word. Everybody say transformed. Transformed. It's a really fun word in Greek. It's, and it's, it's a fun word, it's a fun thing to talk about, but it's such an important thing in the Bible that you know it's only mentioned three times. The word tra- transformed is only mentioned three times in the Bible. Do you know that? It's a pretty powerful word. It's mentioned two times, well, one time because it's in two Gospels. Mark chapter 9 and Matthew 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration. Shall we look at that? Is anybody else hearing that or am I hearing angels? Daughter, be angels here. Yes, there are. Let me read out of Matthew 17, verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured. Everybody say transfigured. transfigured. That's the same word in Greek that is transformed. The Greek word there, it's really fun. I told you that. You want to say it with me? Metamorpho. Metamorpho. That's a really fun word. Anybody know where we get an English word that sounds like metamorpho? Metamorphosis, metamorphosis right. How many people know what happens in metamorphosis? Change. Change happen. Do you really know what happens in a chrysalis, though, with a butterfly and a caliper? Do you really know what happens in there? Yeah, they, they build the cocoon. They go into their chrysalis, and once they're in there, you know what happens to the worm? It liquefies. It turns into a goo, absolute goo. And we know what happens. Ultimately, it comes out, and you've got this beautiful butterfly, right? That's the picture. That is the word for transformation. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? This is what we're designed for, specifically in our thinking. We're designed for it as people. Jesus was our model, right? Hello? Three people say yeah? Jesus was our model, right? He was our model. Okay. I want to talk to this side of the room more. Jesus was our model, right? Okay. Everything that we see in the person of Jesus is an exact representation of God the Father. Would you agree? Because Hebrews tells us that, right? He is the express image of the Father. Jesus himself said, I come to reveal to you the Father. In this passage right here, we see him going up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and he was transfigured before them. It says this, His face shone like the sun, And his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Do you think? (laughs) (laughs) If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud. Isn't that an oxymoron? A bright cloud. Bright cloud. Bright cloud. I don't know. I'm just trying to imagine what that's like right there. It's a cloud, but yet it's really bright. It must have been 
Amazing. It overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. Jesus was transfigured right in front of them. Again, we get to heaven, Blu-ray. I'm going to see all this stuff. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. This is one of the things I really want to see. In the natural, Jesus begins to glow. His clothes, everything about him begins to glow. Freaks Peter, James, and what's the other dude? John, out, yeah. Freaks him out so much. I couldn't think of his name. Freaks him out so much that here's what Peter does. He says, let's build tabernacles. Listen, church, may I suggest to you that's what the unrenewed mind does? Whenever God shows up, the unrenewed mind is looking for something to get busy with. Looking for some work to do. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's go after this. And it was the voice of God who finally spoke to him and said, shut up. That's my interpretation. Shut up, Peter. You don't need to build a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. This is my son. Hear him. The unrenewed mind doesn't catch what heaven is doing. It stays on an earthly plane and it tries to do earthly things. Earthly things, church, that are even religious, that have the appearance of being spiritual, but they're just simply religious acts. That's where we see that word there. We see it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Turn there for a second. This is one of my favorite passages. Second Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. I'm going to read this story. Here's Paul talking to the church at Corinth. He's giving them this letter, and he's talking about the law specifically. So you're going to hear this, and when you hear the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, everybody knows what that is, right? Ten Commandments, he's talking about the law. Okay. But if the ministry of death, everybody say ministry of death. He's talking about the law now. Okay? It was the ministry of death. I mean, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? The law. Ministry of death. What? It came to Moses on the mountain? God's hand wrote that thing? Yeah, it's still a ministry of death. It's still a ministry of death. If the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation, everybody say ministry of condemnation, So it's ministry of death, ministry of condemnation, speaking about the law. I'm not making it up. It's right there. (laughs) We still have religion in us, don't we? (laughs) We still like to go back to law principles, don't we? If you're flirting with the law, you're cheating on Jesus. Hello. Hello. It's the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. How many say, I want to have something to do with the law? No? Good. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness, say the ministry of righteousness, yes, exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. Isn't that wonderful? It's like Paul sitting there talking. I'm going to put it in the Andrew Lamb modern English, okay? It's like Paul sitting there talking to the Corinthians, and he's like, yeah, 
that old law? <laughs> it was something, I guess. But that's nothing. That's nothing compared to the work of Jesus. Yeah. That is nothing. It may have had some kind of glory on it. For you, pff, all right. For me, there's nothing. This thing of Jesus inside of me, this thing that I've woken up to, the reality of the new covenant in Jesus, this is where the glory's at. Verse 11, for if, it was passing, for if what was passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. Say minds. minds. The word there is noyema. You might want to tuck that away. It's the same word that gets used for thoughts. Remember what I said earlier, that the battle is between our ears? Satan is defeated. All he can do is lie because he's the father of lies. Right? It'll connect a little later. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nonetheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Come on, isn't that good? What does that look like, Andrew, to turn to the Lord? It means whenever Holy Spirit is doing anything, that you get out of your natural thinking and you start thinking, God, show me something. Show me something here. Show me something new. I'm looking at you. And then all of a sudden, the veil gets taken away. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. That's a good word. Aren't you glad Jesus gave us liberty? He didn't just give you freedom. Freedom would have been me coming to you and taking shackles and bondages off of your feet and saying you're, you're free. Liberty would be me coming to you, taking the shackles, the bondages off of your feet and then saying, now let me hand you your destiny. You're not even left to figure that out on your own. He not only sets you free, he gives you your destiny. Come on, Andrew, that's a good word there. And this is the verse I've been leading to here. But with... We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image. There's that word. Being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Come on, that's a good word, isn't it? In other words, you're being transformed because of the work of Jesus and the revelation of Him when you accept it. You're being transformed, and you're going from glory to glory. In other words, your starting place is way better than what you think your worst place is. You're not being transformed from garbage to glory. You're going from glory to glory. Your starting place is a really good place. Come on, this has got to help you, right? This helps me. I look at that going, I'm being transformed from glory to glory. I'm not going from something unworthy, trying to become something worthy. I'm starting with a place of worth. I'm starting in a place of value. I'm starting in a place of intrinsic value. That's the way Jesus sees me. I've got to start thinking like that. I'm being transformed from glory to glory to glory. There's the word, transformed. Again, we find it again. One last place. Turn there, and this is going to be our main text, because I'm going to start preaching here in a moment. (laughs) Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Verse 1 says this, I beseech you, or I beg you, 
Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your reasonable service. Mine says service here. A better translation would actually say worship. It's your reasonable worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. There's that word again, transform. Now, I've given you every place where this word shows up in Scripture. Metamorpho. That's where it shows up. Three places. This one, in particular, gives us how we do it. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. How many want to be transformed? It happens with the renewing of our mind. Well, Andrew, what is the renewing of the mind? We already said it's not about memorizing Scripture, necessarily. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. But it's, it's more about starting to see things the way God sees things. I want to suggest that the only way we really find a renewed mind is through repentance. I told you this is about the renewed mind and repentance. The only way we can really find the renewed mind is about repentance. I was telling you a little early about 08, where everything changed in my perspective on ministry in church, and it was God showing up absolutely wrecking our service. We were having our normal Sunday service and we were doing really good with it. Doggone it. (laughs) Then God shows up. You know the guy that we always worship and pray and say, Holy Spirit, have your way? (laughs) Be careful. If you really want Holy Spirit to have his way, be careful. Careful if you're praying that, because there are times he will come in and do things that are way outside your theological grid. He came in and did some things so far outside my theological grid, I kept running back to the Word and looking at it, going, where do you find that? Where do you find that? And I started to discover that the Word doesn't contain God. It reveals him. And I started to discover who he really was. It changed my whole perspective, specifically in the area of healing. Like I told you already, it's, it's now illegal and immoral for me to look at anybody who's sick and think that God's not going to heal them. Yeah. I, don't, I absolutely do not think like that anymore. I look at it as God's going to heal. I have a choice if I'm going to step into it or not. How many in here would say it's way easier to watch somebody pray for somebody else and for them to get healed than for me to step in and do it? Mm-hmm. It's way easier, right? Because it's not our pride on the line. <laughs> When we're the ones stepping in to do it, we're the ones that have ourselves on the line when we do it. I'm telling you, church, the only way you're going to find a renewed mind when it comes to this is start doing it. There is no other way around it. There is no other way around it. You can see it and you can experience it in a room. It might even happen to you, but even if it happens to you, you're required to think in a different capacity then. You're required to repent. What does repent mean? Yep, you guys have been around here long enough. How many grew up in church thinking that repentance means to turn and go in the opposite direction or turn around? How many heard that growing up? I'm I'm saying to you, it's not true. You can't find it in the Bible. It is not true. The word repent is the word metanoia. It means to change your mind or to change your thinking. That's what the word means. When we tell people to repent and tell them to turn around and go in the opposite direction, stop doing the bad thing, start doing the right thing, all we've done is we've created somebody who's now living in behavior modification. That's all they live in is behavior modification. I'm gonna, in other words, they're performing because their mind still thinks something different, but they're performing just so they can look good. 
We don't do certain things in church because we don't want people to think bad things about us, right? So I will change my behavior, but I won't really change the way I think. True repentance means changing the way you think. I like even our English word, repent. If you break it down, the etymology of it, of Engl- the English word repent. Repent. Re meaning what? Again. It's the word again. Pent. Right? It means high place. It's where we get the word penthouse. Right? It's the penthouse. It would be the high corner, usually one of four on the very top floor of a building called the penthouse. It's the high place. Repent. Even our word says, go back to the high place. Does that sound familiar to you guys? Go back to the high place? Go back to the high place. Didn't, didn't God talk about high things? Yeah, he talked about, oh, that's right. That's right. He said that. He said that in Isaiah 59. He said, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So when I hear the word repent, I think of it and go, I've got to go back to thinking like God thinks. I've got to go back to that kind of thinking because his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher than mine. I've got to start thinking like he thinks. How many in here believe that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? A few of you. How many of you really believe you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Still a few of you. How many in here believe that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Yes, okay, good. I really am looking for some interaction here, okay? I really want to know, do you really believe that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Ephesians 1.3 tells me that. Does anybody believe that? You're not being squashed down here on this earth. You're not being held down in order to whip yourself up into a new, cleaner, better state, more righteous, more sanctified state in order to access the things of God. That's religion. It never worked. The idea of religion where man had to perform in order to get God to be pleased with them never, ever did work. Can I just throw this in here? Say yes, because I'm going to do it anyway. Exodus 18. The people of Israel are called out of Egypt. God takes them through the desert. They're hanging out for two or three months out there freaking out but god is just miraculously showing it up and giving all kinds of stuff to them they're getting quail they're getting manna moses goes up strikes a rock water comes out of it and it wasn't like a trickle stream think about this for a moment we're talking millions of people we're talking like torrents of water started coming out of this rock to supply for them they're seeing this wonderful miraculous thing god says to them i want to make you guys priests I want to choose you guys out of everyone on the planet and I'm going to make you priests unto me. And what do the people say? No. I'm really scared about all that thunder and lightning going up there on that mountain. That kind of freaks me out a little bit. Hey, church, let me just suggest that when Holy Spirit shows up and does things, it will freak you out. (laughs) Count on it. (laughs) I think I said last week. Was that last week I talked about the whole glory cloud showing up at Bethel? And people were saying, wow, well, you just want to be careful. Is that God? Is that really God? And Bill Johnson's little six-year-old granddaughter answers the question and says, well, if it's God, worship God. If it's not, worship God. (laughs) A six-year-old gets it. 
If it's God, worship God. If it's not, worship God. Let me just suggest this too. That when it comes to things being weird and totally outside the box, Satan's got nothing on God. Seriously. Satan can only mimic. He can't create anything. He's a created being. He can't create anything. So if somebody's got the market cornered on weird and strange, it's God. So you can't qualify, is it God, based on how weird or strange it is. I do think you can qualify by based on how good it is. If it's good, then it's God. If it's good, then it's God. And nonetheless, even if it is bad, worship God. Worship God. Repentance is not about turning around and going in the opposite direction. I don't know about you. I've lived in the church long enough to know that just turning around and going the opposite direction wears me out. (laughs) Wears me out. Flat wears me out because I know there's a conflict going on in here, the core of who I am. I don't believe this, but I'm going to behave this way, and I can't do it. That's why when people are told to turn and go in the opposite direction, they may be able to do it for a little while, but it doesn't last, and it doesn't last because it's not who they are. But when you have an encounter with God and you allow your mind to be changed the way you think, now you can't help but go in the right direction. You can't help it. Turning and going in the opposite direction is not repentance, but it is the fruit of repentance. It's the result of repenting. If somebody really changes their mind about who God is, then the way of their life will change, and the repentance or the, the turning will be there. Going back to the high thoughts is the way the mind is renewed. It's going to have an effect on our intellect, emotions, and the way we think. I'm almost done here. Repentance, then, is not necessarily about going to heaven. Repent and be saved. Acts 3, we can say that if we want. Repent and be saved, but you've got to understand the context of it. It's the goodness of God, Romans tells us. It's the goodness of God that leads to Repentance. Hello? This is why I'm very, very skeptical of any kind of preaching that preaches hell and you're going to die and you better turn. Because now fear is motivating people into making a decision, not goodness. Hello? Salvation is not about fire insurance. Salvation is not about fire insurance. If salvation were solely about fire insurance, why don't we just do whatever we want to do until we get to the end? It's not about fire insurance. Salvation is about understanding and living, walking with the goodness of God. The goodness of God leads to repentance. That's why I said earlier, if weird signs and wonders happen, all you have to do is find out, is it God? Is it good? Is what's happening good? Then you know it's God. And then at that point, we can choose and say, I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to repent. That's the only way to access the renewed mind. I'm going to repent. Turn again to Matthew 16. I told you I was going to end there, but I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 16. I had you in 17, so just go back one chapter. Beginning in verse 21. No, no, no. Let's go back to 13. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Do I still have people in the room with me here? When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Come on, you can highlight that one right there and hold on to that one. That's a good one just to confess over and over again. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Are you seeing the picture? Flesh and blood, earthly, did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Heavenly thoughts, high thoughts. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Just to throw this in there real quick, guys. When he says you are Peter, and on on this rock I'll build my church, he changed his name from Simon to Peter which means rock, and then he says on this rock I'll build my church, but when you look at it, it's not the same thing, where we have the Catholic church built on Peter. It's not the same thing. He says, you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. Petros is a little stone. Petra is a foundational rock. It's like a bedrock. It's a big, huge stone that things get built on. It's like you don't excavate these kinds of stones because they're bedrock kinds of stone. He said, you are Peter. You're a little bitty stone, and on this rock on this Petra, I'll build my church. What was he talking about? This Petra, what is he talking about? He's talking about the revelation. He says, I'm going to build my church on this one revelation that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. On that revelation right there, the church gets built. Isn't that wonderful? You're a little rock. You got a revelation on something, little rock, but I'm telling you, the little rock that you are, everything you do is going to get built on the bigger rock called you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. That one was free. Verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's a very poor translation. If it really were put the way it reads in the Greek, it would say this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. In other words, you're not making it happen. You're stepping into something that's already happened. That's the better translation of that. I think, I think he actually does it good in here, Passion Translation. Verse 20, Then he commanded his disciples that, Je- that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter s- took him aside. You've got to love this. Here's Peter, just had this wonderful revelation. Gets a name change. I'm a rock. Jesus called me a rock. I'm a rock. <laughs> Jesus starts talking, hey, listen, I got to go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. I'm a rock. Jesus, <laughs> far be it from you that that should ever happen to you. I think he actually did that, if you saw that. I think he actually did Peter took him aside and rebuked him. And he said, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. Remember what I told you earlier to remember that word for nao, mind, thoughts? It's the same word there. Did you know that word oftentimes has even translated affections? He says, Peter, you're not in love with the things of God. You're not affectionate towards the things of God. You're affectionate towards the things of man. One minute, he's thinking like God thinks. The next minute, he's thinking like man thinks. He even rebukes Jesus. Oh, far be it from you. You're never going to have to do that. 
Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You're a stumbling block to me. You are not thinking. You're not affectionate. You're not mindful of. You're not obsessed with the things of heaven. You're way too concerned with the things of earth. The renewed mind requires repentance. The renewed mind requires that we cease thinking like the earth thinks. Let me give you another one. On earth, and this is, we do this a lot too in the church. We still think earthly within the church. Here's a place where I see we think earthly in the church a lot. We think that God is moved by human need. And he's not. He's not moved by human need. He's moved by faith. He was so moved by human need that he sent his son. And it was the absolute, are you still with me in the room? It was the absolute perfect sacrifice. He sent his son and it was completely perfect in every way and it was a finished work that he did on the cross. He even cries out and says, it's finished. And we still think in the church that God is moved by human need. He is not moved by human need, he's moved by faith. That's why I say even when we give and we have testimonies about money, people who are giving out of need, you're not getting it. It's a faith action. It's a thing of stepping into what is happening in heaven. What is God really saying? What is he doing? Does this make sense? Yeah. We've, got, we've had just in the last few me- weeks, what was it, two, three weeks ago, we did the big declaration thing here. Yeah. And I'm hearing testimony after testimony after testimony of God showing up and bringing money to people. Large, large sums of it. Do you think that's because we just found out that people had need? No, it's because we found out that there's faith involved in this. When we do those declarations, it's not a name and claim it. It's a faith step. It's a thing of saying, I'm getting in line with what God does. God who will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. And how do I step into it? I step into it by making sure that I'm not holding on to it. And when I let go of it, now God says, now you're thinking like I'm thinking. Come on. That's just one area. When it comes to healing, when it comes to our finances, you, you name it. Guys, I don't have this down. I'm not saying I have this down. I'm still learning myself, but I want my mind renewed. I want to think like heaven thinks. That way I can see heaven happening all the time, everywhere I go. I've had times and seasons in my life where I've seen it happen. Wherever I go, it's just kingdom, 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 kingdom stuff. And when I get like that, people really like to be around me. (laughs) Maybe I should be like that more often. You're with me, right? We need repentance. Oftentimes we want enough repentance just to ease our conscience, but we don't want enough to transform the life. We just want enough repentance to ease our conscience, but we don't want enough to really transform the life. What I mean by that is we get enough repentance. Oh, is that what you mean? Is that what the word says? Okay, I'll start thinking like that. That eases the conscience. You can sit in here and listen to this message and have your conscience eased. Or you can step into it and say, I want my life really transformed. That means I've got to do something with this. A little later, we have the prophecy rooms happening. I love prophecy. I love giving prophecy. I love receiving prophecy. But I also don't take it lightly. That whenever I get a prophetic word, I know that I'm required to steward that word. And if I don't steward the word, my mind never gets renewed. If I get a prophetic word and I don't do something with it and put it into action, then I've just had enough word there to ease my conscience, but not enough to really transform my life. You guys catching where I'm going with this? 
It's about transforming the life, but it requires us to step into it, to believe it and say, I'm going to go in that direction no matter what it costs me. A little, little later on in the same passage here, he t- Jesus tells his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I think what he's talking about right there, guys, is not some kind of thing that we try to apply in the church where you've got to find your own cross and take that up. There's, there is no other cross than the, pers- than the cross of Jesus, and you're crucified with him. Passion Translation actually writes it a little bit different. He says, that cross that you were crucified with, that you were crucified on with me, start thinking like that. Church, what I'm after, what I really want in my life is I want that kind of renewed mind. I know it's not going to happen through osmosis. It's not going to happen just by reading the word. I've got to take it and put it into action. I've got to find places where I see God operating different than what I think, choose to start thinking like him and then believing it and start walking in it. Everybody stand up here. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus. Is that helpful? I know if you've been around here long enough, I've spoken on this, and I hit on it an awful lot. I really felt like in this place that we're in with us as a team, looking at who we are again, really nailing down, focusing in, honing in on what we are about, we are about transformation. We are about transformation. But transformation isn't going to happen passively. There's an aggressive pursuit of God that is found in abandonment. I'm not talking about an aggressive pursuit of God where it's like, come on, let's get our praise on, let's lift our hands, let's shout, let's jump, that stuff is wonderful. I'm not talking about getting on the floor, weeping and pounding the floor. I'm not talking about fasting for 18 days. I'm not talking about that kind of aggressive pursuit. I am talking about the aggressive pursuit that has when we feel God and then we surrender and say, oh, this is really scary. This is really, really scary. I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to choose to step into it anyway. Does that make sense? That kind of aggressive pursuit. Ministry teams, go ahead and make your way up here. We're going to have people pray for you. I'm going to dismiss you in a moment. We're going to have people pray for you. But what I want you to do is just in a, in a sentence or less, just agree with somebody up here and say, this is where I'm looking for transformation. It's a safe place. You can say whatever you want a safe place, but say, this is where I'm looking for transformation, right here. And then let somebody agree with you. Let somebody not give you counsel. That's not, it's not the point. The point is to just let somebody agree with you and say, this is where I'm going to see transformation happen in my life. And let somebody agree with you on it. Amen. All right. Hold your hands out here. God, I need more transformation in my life. God, I need more. I'm starting by saying it. I'm just saying, God, I need more transformation in my life. Lord, I know I've experienced you. I know that I have encountered you to such an extent that it has transformed my life. But God, I'm looking for more. God, I'd like to glow. I'd like to glow like Jesus did. I would really like to glow. I would really like to have my face shiny, my clothes shiny like that. Lord, I want to know what real, real transformation looks like. Lord, I'm asking for all of us too, Lord. We want to be a church who represents you accurately. We don't want to be a church that's just known by good morality. We want to be a church that's known by the power of heaven. That's what we need. That's what we're looking for. Oh, God, we thank you. Thank you, God.
So good. Just stay here a second. Just enjoy him for a second. Yeah. Yeah, just enjoy him. You're so good. You're so good, and all you do is good. All you do is good, God. It's all you do. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change. He does not change. You're good. Everybody say, you're good. God, you're good. God, you're better than I think. Show me how good you are. Because your goodness leads me to repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.